The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. And of course, it's the Greg Tucker Show. Good morning. It's a cold morning. Uh, we went into the restaurant this morning and, and uh, I almost froze till the heater came on. I'm uh, not used to this. I layered up, and for the last 30 minutes sitting here, I've been taking layers off. Uh, it is warm in here. It's nice and warm here. Yeah, it feels so good. Um, what have you been up to? I haven't talked to you in a while. Well, probably since last Monday. Uh, no, you had a little bit of uh, medical activity last week, and we checked on you a couple of days each day there to be sure. And today, it's hard to describe, but you're looking at me through one lens rather than two. Uh, well, the eye did so well, uh, the right eye, that uh, I can see like a 16-year-old out of that eye. So I'm going to have the left eye done in two days. So um, so the eye that's been worked on, you knocked the lens out of the glasses. Yeah, because uh, I didn't need it the, anymore. Yeah. yeah. But my left eye, I'm, uh, I, I, let's just say this. I'll be glad when it's all over. It's not as uh, bad as a surgery in in most other areas, but it's one you worry about probably the most because if you can't see, you have a major problem. And I've been looking through clouded eyes probably for the last 20 years. Well, you may want to tell your faithful listeners then that uh, today, tomorrow, the only days this week that you'll be on. Yeah, Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. And then, of course, the band will still be on Friday. And then usually they'll do the best of shows. And a lot of times, of course, they're your shows uh, because people will tell me that they'll tune in whenever you're on the air. You and, uh, well, of course, everybody, I enjoy everyone that comes on. And uh, Mr. Thomas Booker, you know, I had uh, Mickey Mantle's son on last week with Thomas Booker and uh, I I, I, uh, I think maybe we're going to have one of his other sons on next time they're on so I'll have to announce that well talking about all those famous names Mickey Mantle reminds me yesterday was the anniversary of a birthday of a prominent uh, very prominent uh, personality who had a very strong Tennessee connection. A lot of people aren't aware of, even though when we see him and saw him, if you had realized what was going on, he was promoting a Tennessee product. Uh, 
He was a singer. Have any idea who we're talking about? Yesterday was the birthday of Frank Sinatra. And Frank Sinatra's Tennessee connection, uh, he frequently had in his hand and would uh, show off during his appearances. In fact, uh, I saw a picture of him standing there holding it up like a salute. Uh, he was a hardcore fan of Jack Daniels. Well, I should have known that one. Yeah, you should have known that. Yeah. And he had his own special recipe. I, I don't know how he came upon it, but apparently he was uh, had done some research and settled in midlife to uh, only one label, Jack Daniel. And he insisted that it be prepared 321. 321. What yeah. does that mean? That was his recipe for how he used his Jack Daniel. 321. Three rocks. Okay. Two fingers. Uh-huh. One splash. Shaken or stirred? Huh? Shaken or stirred? Oh, oh, you don't touch it. It just all melts together. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, three, two, one. And if you don't know what the two fingers means, that's the way he'd measure from the bottom of the glass, two fingers mm -hmm. level. And uh, I don't know how much water is in a splash, but it was one splash. And uh, my wife wondered also, why do you want water in if you got ice? He drank it so quick that the ice wasn't melting. Uh, it was just chilling the uh, the liquor a little bit. Mm -hmm. But the Tennessee Squire Association, sponsored by the Jack Daniels label, put out a uh, reminder to everybody that uh, Frank passed away on December 12th. Mm -hmm. No, was born on December 12th and apparently passed away with the Jack Daniels in his hand. So, Well, bless his heart. Well, now that uh, last week we noted the uh, anniversary of the repeal of Prohibition, and you remarked how what an impact it had on the local economy. Yeah. Uh, makes me wonder. The federal ban on alcohol was lifted, but uh, Rutherford stayed a dry county, is that right? Kind of. Kind of? Mm -hmm. Well, now in your early years there were private enterprises going on here yeah but uh, what was the nature of it when you began your law enforcement career it was dry here it was dry here but what yeah. was what kind of activity was going on was it just transport or was there still fabrication no 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 uh most of it around here was either used for their own private consumption or uh, there were friends that uh, would come over and uh, maybe pay for whatever product that was being put out at the time. And uh, I, 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 it, was, it was amazing how few times that we were actually able to find out where it was uh, being uh, put together and uh, who was doing it. And uh, we there's very few raids that were successful back in, in, in those days. Raids on uh, facilities that were manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me like, just from reading newspaper, there was a lot of movement from out of county coming into the county. Yeah. Uh, did you see much of that in your years? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. And uh, you knew pretty much the individuals that were uh, able to uh, manufacture that particular product, uh, but you never knew where. It was always being moved around. And uh, I was at one place one time, and, and there was a feud going on between the individual and his neighbor. And I'm not going to mention the names, of course. But uh, uh, I, I was to asked to go over and talk to one of them that was involved uh, from the other per person because uh, they lived right next to each other pretty much. And I said, okay, I was, was going to try to ease the conflict between the two. So I went over there, and a couple of guys just happened to, and I was on the front porch. A couple of guys just showed up, and uh, and the one I was talking to told them, I'll go on to the barn, and, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll do some business later. And, I, of course, me, I didn't, I didn't have a clue what was going on because this particular individual – uh, was not one of the names we knew, and later on I found out that that uh, as soon as I left, he went over to the barn and sold them that particular product. So uh, it wasn't always clear; it, it really wasn't. And there were quite a few that were actually manufacturing the product uh, in Rutherford County and in Cannon County. Short Mountain was a was a heavy place. It, of course, that's out of our uh, jurisdiction. Well, down in the southeast corner of the county, uh, there was one businessman, and before the repeal of prohibition, he apparently had been fairly high volume and got in uh, at odds with the Federals mm -hmm. and spent some time in uh, Georgia under lock and key, but mm -hmm. came back, went right back to work. But then even after the repeal of Prohibition, there still was federal enforcement because of the tax issue. Yeah. The and loss of revenue. Yeah, the uh, untaxed liquor was still mm -hmm. uh, was illegal, was still illegal. Uh, when uh, I came back in the late 1980s, uh, I remember talking to uh, my mentor, Squire Bowman, mm -hmm. who I knew was a teetotaler. Uh, had never. He never went over to the cave. He never. Yeah, he never made use of any product. Mm -hmm. But I asked him about it because I knew back in the deep end of the Burke's Hollow there was quite a bit of it, mm -hmm. quite a bit of activity. And he said, "Well, no one has to use it. If you use it, it's because you want to use it. Nobody's going to force you. Mm -hmm. But it does help out with the local economy. <laughs> so those who lived up in the hollow there." Uh, we're well aware of what was going on, but nobody was interested in d disturbing the activity. And uh, the, the major player up there uh, had a nice barn. And on one side of the barn was the animal activity, mm -hmm. in and out feeding the animals. And the other side of the barn, and you had to go out and walk around the barn to the other side, was where they stored the hay and the other... Uh, products and uh, all appeared very innocent but if you got out your tape measure and started measuring the overall dimensions of the barn were about three feet greater 
than the dimensions of the two sides added mm-hmm. together. And uh, I don't think there was a door into that space in the middle because mm-hmm. there was a double wall and a space maybe three feet wide. <clears throat> you had to climb up and over and drop down into it. Yeah. But that was his uh, inventory where he kept the inventory. And uh, I'm not sure the barn's still there. I haven't been up that deep into the hollow lately. But uh, it was well known by the locals and uh, apparently stayed in business until the proprietor died. I wonder if they he, he uh, was right uh, near kept, the, kept up with the income during that time. Uh, well, there was sometimes another angle, which was uh, tax evasion. It's kind of hard to declare income from an illegal product. Yeah. <laughs> the good thing about it being <clears throat> legal was that a lot of times there would be people that would be uh, manufacturing that particular product, and they would use uh, items that they shouldn't be using in, in taking care of it. Uh, like if you get rust or something inside that particular product a lot of times maybe radiators were used and things like that yeah, it would cause extreme da- damage and sometimes death in in the people that were using well, it. well uh, primary concern was old car radiators which could be used apparently for the condenser mm-hmm. in a still setup frequently had lead content yeah and uh, the lead would leach out in the process and contaminate the product mm-hmm. and that could be deadly very, yeah. d- very dangerous so but it prospered for a while it may be something that has damaged a lot a lot of people uh alcoholism and things like that but uh if you there's it, it's a product that a lot a lot of people like to use and uh, it it does quite a bit of damage, but if if it becomes uh, illegal, then the the problems get even worse at the time. So uh, crime will go up considerably if you're not people are not able to get what they want and and feel like they need. So. Uh, that's, it, it, it's it's infor- a terrible situation. Yeah, that's the enforcement problem with uh, drugs even today. Yeah. Uh, as long as there's demand, there are those that will circumvent the law to meet that demand. Yeah. Uh, money. Yeah. Money. Let's see, I did get, I frequently get interesting email calls and inquiries uh, directed to me uh, because people are interested in local history, particularly as it relates to their family. And I got an email the other day from Edie Smith, who sent me a picture. And the picture was from probably the 1920s or the early part of the century. Mm-hmm. And it was a picture of her grandmother, her great-grandmother, and an aunt, I think. And they were uh, <laughs> posing around a monument. I recognize the monument right away. It's the uh, Stones River Battlefield Monument to the U.S. Regulars, uh, the uh, regular army of the Union uh, that was involved there. 
And uh, I think the monument was set up long ago. Let's see, 1882. Survivors of the regular brigade of the United States Army in memory of those who were killed or died. And I recognized it because uh, it's a uh, cylindrical monument, about 14 feet tall. And on the top of it is a bronze eagle uh, sitting on top of a globe. Mm -hmm. It looks like a globe. And it's big. The uh, wingspan of the eagle is uh, almost five feet. And uh, according to some information from the battlefield, just the eagle alone weighs almost 300 pounds. And uh, the note that came with the picture was, well, on the picture somehow was written that it was the D period, G period, A period, D period club, DGAD club, posing around the monument. And the question was, what was the DGAD club? And then perhaps we'd be able to figure why they were posing around the monument if there was any connection. I wasn't, and still don't know about the club and what the club was, but uh, I shared the picture and limited information with some of my colleagues who enjoy uh, trying to figure out things like that. And uh, Carol Hughes, who I've named before, extremely effective in uh, researching through the news media, found references again to the club just by those initials uh, and found that uh, in other parts of the country as well, there would be social events involving that club or sponsored by that club. Uh, but did not find anything that named the club or explained what its purposes was. She speculated that perhaps it's don't give a damn club, uh, but that's not very ladylike and the people in the picture looked like fine, uh, proper ladies. Uh, so anybody out there in radio land could give us some information about the DGAD club particularly its local activity. There must have been some because the picture is clearly in our local community. Uh, we'd love it's to fans, hear from you. It's fans of Clark Gable. Fans of Clark Gable. Yeah. Just because he made one line famous. Yeah, at the very end, the very first time. Uh, frankly, first Scarlett. Frankly, my dear. My dear. I don't give a damn. Well. Yeah. Uh, let's see, this would have been probably before the movie. It was before the movie. The movie was in the late 1930s. Yeah, yeah. And this uh, picture looked very much like something in the, oh, the first 20 or 30 years of the mm -hmm. century. But if somebody can help us out, love to hear from you. Yeah, I want to hear that answer. Uh, actually, I've, I've never heard of it. D well, d department... Work on it. Yeah, yeah. If if you get home, I, I, guess, I guarantee you a lot of people right now that are listening have got their pencil and pad out. Well, it's D-G-A-D club. Mm -hmm. And apparently had some kind of activity here locally. And we do think it was uh, went well beyond Murfreesboro because we've seen it in 
social context in other parts of the country. But nobody's come up with yet what the initials stand for or what really was the mission of the, of the club. Was it usually connected with the war itself uh, after the war? Well, that's the issue. Is there some connection with the battlefield, the monument? Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm quite familiar with the monument. Did some research on it oh, some years ago. I think I wrote an article or two about it because it related to a football game. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you probably remember, I think it'd be 1967, uh, the, probably the most aggressive college competition, we could argue this, but the Ohio Valley Conference, remember the OVC? Oh, yes. And MTSU and, and Tennessee Tech. There you go. Yeah. One of the, the rivalry started back in about 1917 when the colleges were being first organized under different names, but uh, TTU and MTSC mm -hmm. by 1967 were uh, long, long-standing rivals. The game each year was the Thanksgiving Day game. Yeah. Frequently was uh, uh, the OVC championship would be at stake. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where even if we had a rocky season, if we could win that last Thanksgiving Day game against our major rival, yeah. and for, for reasons beyond football, the two schools always were rivals, uh, if we could win that Thanksgiving Day game, that would save the season. Well, in 1967, Middle Tennessee was expected to be a strong team and handily won their opening game, but then lost the next four games in a row. And uh, by the end of the season, uh, pending the last game, uh, Middle Tennessee had won four and lost five. So they were playing in 1967 to avoid a losing season, mm -hmm. tying season. At the same time, Tennessee Tech had not had their best year. And Coach Wilburn Tucker, Mm -hmm. a cousin of mine, my father's first cousin, uh, the coach down there. Uh, there were some rumors about, uh, you know, he needed to win a big game to protect his job down there. Now, I think those were rumors probably started by his uh, competitors uh, because I know uh, when he retired some years later, they named the stadium after him, Tucker Stadium. So mm -hmm. I'm sure he left on good terms with a good record but this particular year he had not had a good year and so the Tennessee Tech fans and, and players were anxious to make it a a good season by winning this last game and uh, probably well let's see some of the people on the team in 1967 for Middle Tennessee names some of us would remember Gene Carney Herbert Owenby Mike Matheny, Charlie Daniel, Jimmy Dunn, Larry Bull, Matthews, and one that I know very well that we should remember, Phil Watts, mm -hmm. who was the coach of the Riverdale team in the early years. Yeah. Very successful, if I remember he right, was. directly. 
he was an East Nashville boy. I actually graduated in East Nashville the same year I did. And I uh, was finished, I guess he would have been a senior or a junior in 1967. Uh, I didn't realize he was that old. <laughs> he's got to be 75 because mm -hmm. I know we were contemporaries. And I uh, was very, very successful in business later. But the most memorable play of that game, if you talk to people who remember it, was when Bull Matthews uh, was to make the carry from the one-yard line mm -hmm. for a touchdown. And uh, if you go into the records now, check the news media at the time, he ran something in the neighborhood of 50 yards, but was only credited with a one-yard gain for the touchdown. Uh, when the uh, ball was put in play, there was a handoff to Bull, and he tried to run around one end of the line to cover the one yard he needed to for a touchdown. Oh, they were on the one-yard line. Of they the were opponents. on the one-yard line. Yeah. And he uh, hit, the, hit the line and, and literally bounced back, gathered himself together and hit it again and bounced back, took off running laterally across the field, ran all the way to the other corner of the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, since he got there before him, blocked him again, turned around and ran back the other way and managed to outrun the defenders and got his one-yard gain, uh, which made the difference. So uh, Middle Tennessee prevailed and avoided a losing season, uh, thanks to the bull. Uh, and also, it gave MTSC a sixth consecutive victory over Cookville wow. for the Thanksgiving Day uh, series. be interesting to go back and tally that up for the whole period of competition, see who. But... And now we get into a bit of uh, conjecture, but somebody in connection perhaps with the Tennessee Tech team decided they weren't gonna leave town empty-handed. And it was several days later that some personnel over at the Stones River battlefield mm -hmm. discovered that the Eagle was gone. Had not landed. The Eagle was uh, no longer on top of the monument. And, uh, of course, there were official complaints and such, all of which produced nothing. And the monument stood, I think, for 15 years with just uh, the globe on top and no eagle. Mm -hmm. And uh, a... Uh, How long was it before it was noticed? It Go was on. Oh, it was several weeks, I think, before someone noticed it. And uh, the maintenance fellow who examined and probably is the one, that was Bob Simerly, I believe, at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, he checked the monument and said somehow or another, without a crane or scaffolding, because that would have certainly been noticed, they were able to lift that 300-pound bird up off an iron post. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the monument was assembled in the 1880s. The globe had an iron post and the eagle sat down over that post. So someone was able to lift that off and carry it off uh, without any kind of uh, crane or scaffolding. And uh, 
did not do any damage to the monument. Hmm. Who knows about the bird, but the monument itself was not damaged. And uh, stood, I think it was, yeah, it was stood bare-topped for 15 years uh, until Don McGee, who became or was the battlefield superintendent at the time, decided to make an effort. Mm -hmm. And suspecting the Tennessee Tech fans, but without any kind of evidence or proof, he approached the president of the college down there in Cookville mm -hmm. and said, uh, I'd like permission to send one of my people just to make a walkthrough mm -hmm. of the fraternity houses and maybe some of the dormitories, just a walkthrough to see what maybe we would spot. And the president down there said, no, no, we don't, we're not, we're not doing that. Uh, McGee, though, was determined to make an effort. So his second strategy, he printed up a handbill and offered a $500 reward. And then, without permission, he got it distributed to all the fraternity houses, dormitories, and other gathering places in Cookville. And did the same thing over at Middle Tennessee, just in case. Mm -hmm. Again, the uh, Cookville people complained, complained bitterly. Uh, but uh, what to do? And uh, sure enough, uh, in response apparently to the reward and the Money information, talk. yeah, yeah uh, he got a call. It took two or three weeks before, and his quote to me some years ago, quote, finally, a caller speaking in the third person said he had a friend who knew someone who had what might be what we may be looking for. Mm -hmm. That was Simon really actually said that. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the battlefield people said we need some proof that the kidnapped entity is alive and well. And uh, the information was he is alive and well now, but if you ever want to see your loved one again, they sent a Polaroid picture. The picture was definitely the bird sitting on asphalt pavement, leaning on a post in what looked like someone's carport. <laughs> we agreed to their terms. Mm -hmm. The terms were no questions asked, cash payment, payment to be made at the time of exchange, but we're not going to exchange anything until we have the money in hand. And it's to be a meeting, a, a secret, unpublicized meeting. And the place they picked was the old Home Depot parking lot. Home Depot moved across the, the interstate at some point. But over on the Hickory Hollow side was an uh, empty store at the time in the parking lot. And, uh, well, then the uh, people with the battlefield had to confront the question of where do we get $500 in cash? There were those who were opposed under any terms to paying for stolen property. Yeah, I mean, you don't want them to give us the yeah. bird free. I mean. Well, they had gotten an estimate for what it would cost to replace the bird and have it mm -hmm. put in place. Remember, we're talking about the early 1980s, uh, $10,000. Lots of money back then, particularly when you're on a budget that you had to Take to, <laughs> you have to take to Congress, that kind of thing. Uh, but 
a friend of the battlefield. A friend of the battlefield uh, contacted him and offered to provide the cash. Yeah. So uh, let's see if I got a date here. Uh, yes, March 13, 1982. It was a rainy day. In fact, it was raining hard, according to some of the people involved. But Simerly, the maintenance guy, drove a pickup truck to Nashville for a 10 o'clock in the morning rendezvous mm-hmm. in the old Depot Park, Home Depot parking lot. Uh, McGee, the superintendent, went along carrying a brown envelope with $500 in unmarked bills. And uh, Simon really says, and I wonder about this credibility, we never knew where the $500 came from. But there was a third person in the truck, Robert Raglan, a quote, friend of the park, accompanied the two battlefield employees. Now, I don't know who paid the 500 or where it came Too from. Too obvious. Too but, obvious. But there is another, a third party involved. At hey, exactly let's, the let's, appointed hour, a clean late model pickup <laughs> turned into the lot and pulled alongside. We could see the Eagle sitting in an old tire, on an old tire in the truck bed. It was clearly our family member. The brown envelope was passed through the windows. There was a pause while somebody in the truck made a quick count. Then the loaded truck pulled around tailgate to tailgate and working together, the tire and the eagle, the eagle and the tire were transferred. And uh, they noted that there were a couple of big, brawny, mid-30 looking fellows involved in the transaction. Um, McGee said he took down the license number of the pickup truck, which surprised me it was available. But he decided to keep their word, which was no questions asked, no follow-up. Yeah. We'll just get you back to Bird. Uh, the truck was from Mount Juliet. Uh, they did notice that. Let's take a quick break. All right. Okay. Hi, I'm Larry Castelli, and I love living at Adams Place. I do exercise. I go three times a week. I go to stretch and balance, always conscious of your needs. It's not that someone is telling you what to do, it's they're looking out for you. It's a good workout. And what about the food? Oh, give me a break. <laughs> There's so much food here, you can, you know, I would highly recommend Adam's Place. It's a slick pig barbecue. Spicy wings and Brunswick stew Everything made fresh for you At the Slick Pig Barbecue There's lean smoked turkey and chicken too Ribs so tender don't need to chew Well come on folks, I'm telling you It's the Slick Pig Barbecue In 1920 East Maine You're gonna love the pig The Slick Pig Barbecue A Murfreesboro tradition Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros We offer a straightforward approach to service Including nationwide warranties with every purchase Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed 
We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. WGNS is growing to better serve North Rutherford County. We have a powerful signal at Smyrna and Laverne on FM 100.5. In Murfreesboro, we have you covered on FM 101.9 and, of course, on AM 1450. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. With sunny skies and temperatures around 50 degrees, the Murfreesboro Christmas Parade was a huge success. Emergency vehicles were the first to roll as the parade began on Middle Tennessee Boulevard Sunday afternoon at 2. It went down East Main Street to the historic square, then on to West Main, ending on Walnut. The theme of this year's parade was the spirit of Christmas, and observers commented on the large turnout from start to finish. Tornadoes reported on December 10th and 11th caused at a minimum 250 miles of damage in Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, Tennessee, and Kentucky. One of the hardest-hit areas of Middle Tennessee was Hendersonville, where high winds and a tornado knocked over trees and power lines. Some of those trees fell onto homes and vehicles throughout the city. One homeowner told News Radio WGNS, I've lived here 43 years, and about 22 years ago, we had straight-line winds that took out um, a tree that was in my side yard and one part of the fence, but nothing to ever uproot a tree. In West Tennessee, the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency reported four people dead as a result of the storm on Friday night and early Saturday morning. Two of the deaths were in Lake County, one in O'Brien County, and a fourth in Shelby County. Murfreesboro Police Chief Michael Bowen announced the promotion of two detectives and an officer to the rank of sergeant. Sean Garrison started his career at MPD in January of 2004. In his role as sergeant, he'll now be assigned to the Criminal Investigation Division. Randall Gaines began his employment with the department in August of 2011. He'll be a sergeant in the Uniform Division. Nathan Corwin was hired in April of 2016. He'll also be a sergeant in the Uniform Division. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. The Good Neighbor Network, on air and online at WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's most trusted source for local news. Hi, this is Bob Cornell, pastor of Covenant Church right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The answer that you've been looking for is found in Jesus and what he accomplished at the cross. You see, Jesus changes lives from the inside out. We would love for you to join us at Covenant Church, located at 1124 Brinkley Ave right here in Murfreesboro. We have services Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. You can learn more about us at our Cornell Ministries YouTube channel. We want you to grow in Christ at Covenant Church. Michael DeLeon with Steered Straight Thrift Stores. It's a nonprofit thrift store. We take donations. Your donations, support, and purchases help educate youth on the choices and consequences of drugs, bullying, suicide, and other hard topics. Come into our thrift stores, 845 Middle Tennessee and 903 Mercury Boulevard. I'm telling you, you're going to find treasures and you're going to find great deals, but you're going to help us save lives. Michael DeLeon, Steered Straight. You're supporting drug education in schools. I can't emphasize enough, it's more important than ever. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. see mostly sunny skies here for this afternoon with a high in the upper 50s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 32. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 32.
Premier Six Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline, 896-4100, or go seeamovie.com. Popcorn Pop Fresh Daily, their movie hotline, 896-4100, or go seeamovie.com. Premier Six on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Some of those that are prominent. And welcome back with Greg Tucker. And uh, you never hear that, do you? Well, we were talking about the eagle that disappeared for a while over at the battlefield. When it came back in exchange for a $500 ransom payment, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, one of my contacts over there said that uh, the two fellows, big beefy looking fellows that uh, brought it back for the exchange had with them one of the flyers. So they were thinking like businessmen, you know, here's our contract, it says $500. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, the maintenance man, when I talked to him, said uh, they had to do some cleanup and repair because the body of the eagle had been painted brown, like an eagle, mm-hmm. and the head and neck were covered with gold paint. And uh, Was it a bald eagle? Yeah, with the American, white head, yeah, yeah. Well, it was originally concrete. Yeah, uh, just concrete. But they cleaned off all the paint. Uh, they had to rework. Apparently, the wings were uh, attached separately from separate molds. And they had to do some work on that, but not a big deal. And they had it rededicated on Memorial Day, 1982, and the maintenance fellow, Simerly, uh, told me that uh, he added a couple of brackets and bolted into the concrete at the bottom of the eagle mm-hmm. so that it could not be easily removed in the future or even removed with a crane because it was attached. And uh, he described it as permanently attached. So no one has attempted to take the eagle since then. But a fun story. You know, MTSU has a lot of great history when you think back about all the things that happened uh, ever since the, well, the college and then the university began. And uh, I was thinking about uh, people like you and Joe Nunley that have written a lot of history of the uh, people over the years that we think about and uh, known nationally and uh, if you guys ever I mean if you of course Mr. Nunley has gone and I absolutely love that guy he was just a special man if you could put all the history that you guys got together and then add a few that maybe have never been in there do you remember who Barney Ophiel was yeah Barney Ophiel was one of the more interesting people that we've ever known because he had so much uh, talent physically. Uh, you, do you remember the Tiger Bells? 
uh, Tennessee State University. Of course. Great, great athletic bunch. And, and the ladies there were as good or better than just almost anybody when it came to uh, uh, sprints and things like that. And I remember when he challenged them that he would outrun them. And, of course, he was about 275 uh, uh, in his uh, – about 6'2", maybe, 6'3". And uh, it was on national television. And the race went on, and Barney outran all of them. And then we're talking about ladies who are extremely fast. And after the race was finished, he grabbed one of the Tiger Bells, lifted her up over his head, and ran around the track one more time. <laughs> and and when I think about that, I mean, it doesn't sound like that anybody could ever do anything like that. But uh, he was, um, that, that's one of those stories that I don't think I've ever read in print, even though I saw it uh, on television at the time. I suspect the Tiger Bells enjoyed that too, because it was excellent publicity yeah it was for them and their program yeah and uh, i remember wyoming atias and who's the tiger bell from clarksville oh uh, think of her name in a i second. didn't think i'd ever forget that name because i watched her i was a big fan of hers yeah she was she had um what was it polio when she was young and uh she overcame a lot of uh problems to be able and she worked hard to become the great athlete that she was at the time. Probably, if she's still around today, she would still be breaking records. Well, you mentioned Joe Nunley, and we were talking about the Thanksgiving Day rivalry mm -hmm. uh, in his book, The Raider 40s, The Fighting Raiders. He wrote about the 1940 football team and the mm -hmm. game against Tennessee Tech and what was particularly... Uh, engaging about that team is that uh, a year later uh, all but one or two were in the service mm -hmm. and uh, the fellow who caught the night the pass in 1940 that won the game six to nothing over tennessee tech was one of the first uh, to volunteer and uh, got uh, uh, one of the first groups into the south pacific flying the Wildcat, the F-4F, mm -hmm. which was not a superior plane. and uh, But uh, Billy Birch, who caught the pass, uh, flew the, the Wildcat F-4F in one of the earliest squadrons challenging the Zero and the Japanese and scored uh, at least two, maybe three victories uh, before finishing his combat tour. But that was particularly intriguing to me because, as I say, it was not a superior plane. Mm -hmm. It was a plane, well, the Wildcat holds the record for the length of time involved in the combat because uh, it was out there before the Corsair or the P-38 or the P-51, uh, all of which were superior in one way or another to the, the Zero, the Japanese plane. But in the early part of the South Pacific War, uh, we were fighting with a, a uh, outgunned, outperformed opponent, enemy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Billy Birch, 
football player in 1940 at MTSU. Uh, MTSC, I think, at the time was one of the first. Got a caller. Caller, welcome aboard with Greg Tucker. Hey, hey, Truman and Greg, Cliff Sharp. Um, hey, I, I, hey, I Cliff. Want to tell you, I want to tell you a story about Oldfield. Uh, I was coaching, of course, in, in, at Harding in Arkansas, and we went to the uh, Dogwood Relays up in uh, Knoxville, and uh, I had a, a really good shot putter, nothing at all like Oldfield. But Oldfield was there, and he had bought a uh, uh, a pound of ground hamburger meat. And he, he went over and grabbed that raw hamburger meat and started chewing it, and he was running Ooh. down the side of his mouth and everything. And he, he would get up on the front of the of the uh, ring on the tow board and jump and throw, and he was throwing 70 feet, you know, by doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. But... Uh, uh, Undra, you're talking about psyching everybody out. Nobody else even came, came close to him. But, you know, anytime I hear Oldfield, I picture him with that that uh, uh, blood and juice running down the side of his mouth. But he, he was some athlete. He really was. He was he was above anything I've ever seen. Oh, I know it. You know, uh, the, anybody that could, as big as he was and run as fast as he could, it was just uh, – Unbelievable, and and of course you know he he set he, he set the world record uh, in in the shop foot a little bit later. But uh, anyway, when y'all were talking about him, that I, I just pictured that that you know him him there growling and carrying on. But uh, great great athlete. Hey, y'all have a great day. Enjoyed your program today. You too, Cliff. Always enjoy you. Thank you, Cliff. Well, that, that just ruined my lunch. <laughs> you, you wanna, I'm just sitting here looking at it. I said, like, ugh. <laughs> I've had a good juicy hamburger. Huh? Yeah. Uh -uh. How would you like to be comp competing with somebody after you saw that happen? But, but he, I, he, I'd he, rather he, run against him than have dinner with him. You know, can you imagine somebody that had all of those particular athletic uh, gifts? I mean, it, it's just impossible. You'd think that he would be... Uh, in today's time, he, he he would probably be a major tackle on one of the NFL teams or something. And I think he's been gone a pretty good while. He he uh, he left pretty early in life, bless his heart. But uh, when we were talking about that, and I started thinking about the Tiger Bells, who was the coach at TSU that uh, was the coach in the olympics and all the other things that were going on with the ladies back then was that merit yeah merit yeah. yes and and uh he was he was blessed with so many great athletes w with tennessee state at the time it was it was amazing and you think about all those old days with mtsu t uh, tennessee tech tennessee state and all of that think of how much they the things have changed during those days with all the universities. Well, I miss the OVC, the Ohio Valley Conference, because we had a rivalry, Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky. Yeah. Which also turned out, you know, because Western Kentucky close enough, they'd bring a, a couple of busloads down here and make a lot of noise. Tennessee Tech, uh, just a classic rival dating back to the founding of the universities. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my favorite characters from that period 
Midget. Uh, was Wink Midget. Wink Midget. Yeah. Coach was hired by QM Smith, who had been the president of Tennessee Tech before he came here. There were just a lot of connections. And uh, had sons Don and Dan Midget. Yeah. And both played uh, for Central High School over here. And Don was the fullback on, on the uh, team that went to the clinic bowl. And Dan was one of the uh, best guards that uh, Central ever had. And he played for the 1960 team that was one of the best high school basketball teams ever. We got another caller on the line. Caller, welcome aboard. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to correct something. Uh, Ed Temple was the track coach. Oh, you're right. At yeah, Merritt was yeah. the football yeah. coach. Yeah, Merritt was the football coach who had the That's big right. Sunday morning TV show on. And I used to watch that just to listen to him. Is this Ronnie? <laughs> yes. Hey, Ronnie. Ronnie Eakes. How are you, big boy? Well, I'm doing pretty good. It's still getting up every day. That's pretty good for us. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I enjoy listening to a lot of that stuff. And I actually, Barney was in school when I was in school at MTSU, and he was a real character. Yeah, he, he, he loved to be the center of attention, didn't he? Yes, he did. He, uh, and I tell you what, he, he, would, uh, he would go to track meets. And, you know, they'd take turns. Barty would just sit there and pass. And these other yeah. guys would take their turns throwing the shot puts. And uh, Barney would just sit there, and when, when they would finally use all their current, Barney would get up, and he'd beat them on the first throw. And then he would see how much farther he could get it on his other turns. But I, got, I got another story. You know Ray Hughes. Uh, yes. You know, I I was younger than uh, Ray, Jack Jolly, and all them, and I got a real education by teaching with them for years. Because <laughs> uh, they had coached when I was a kid, you know, and I, uh, I I knew all of them. But when I got to be around them, it was a real experience and uh, a real enjoyable experience too. But I remember Ray telling us one day, he said he, uh, he was the first shot putter at MTSU. And the reason he was the first shot putter is because he was the only one who could lift the ball. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I enjoy listening to y'all, so keep up good work. I'll, Thanks for I'll, calling. I'll keep tuning in. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. Now we have a lot of just great people right here in this community. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, we were talking about Joe Nunley in the 1940 Thanksgiving Day game when uh, Billy Birch caught the pass that won the game. Who threw that pass? I don't know. Oh, you should know. Why? Because he was the quarterback who ended up uh, flying with another squadron, uh, flying the Corsair. You're talking about the Black Sheep Squadron? You're talking about Barney? Bernie. Bernie, I mean. <laughs> Bernie Tucker. <laughs> Through the pass that won the game, and thanks to Joe Nunley, probably the most famous pass in the history of MTSUC. Mm -hmm. 
but well he was famous for a lot of things your dad was and well he stayed uh through the football season of the next year mm-hmm. uh and uh played on the 1941 team yeah but then of course december 7th came along and uh, he immediately dropped out of school and joined the navy originally and then uh, took the marine option thinking it be more likely he could fly in the marines which is did turn out that way yeah you know it's hard to believe that that's been 80 years ago 80 years ago yeah that doesn't seem possible does it um that that date has been on my mind ever since i was uh in school well and the proximity to our life when i was uh looking back over the story we were telling about the uh, eagle monument that was 1967 that was only what 20 years after the end of the war Mm -hmm. how close we were to the end of that war uh Yet it seemed so remote, even when we were kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, World War II has always, to me, seemed to be so far back, so far, you know. But uh, in 1967, well, I'll do some quick math, 40, 50. Yeah, about 20 years is all the distance we had. And right now, when you and I think about 20 years ago, it seems like yesterday. And if you're part of the war... I don't think you could go to bed at night without reliving a lot of the things that happened during that time. It completely changes the people that uh, are participants in those particular wars. Everything changes. You you do things that um, you couldn't realize that you could do. And a lot of heroes came back out of that war. But uh, as far as thinking about... Um, all the things that you did, I think most of them think about all the people that they were in there with that didn't come back. It's it's a it, it's it's a terrible thing to live through with, with those type situations and and uh, bless all those heroes that that came back and those that didn't come back. I mean, I I, I don't think we I don't think we could ever give them enough appreciation out of what they did for this country and and um, we're we're living in a, an age right now that people um they don't think about those things and they should they, th- they should think about them every day and what they did for uh the greatest country in the world and, and i hope uh god will let us keep being the, the light of the world it needs to be that way well, it's the holiday season, but you and I will be together again this coming Monday, next Monday, and then probably we'll take a day off after the Christmas holiday. Let's see, uh, what is the day? The, the day is the 13th. 13th, so we'll be back on the 20th, but uh, likely we'll take the 27th off and start the new year with the program. That'd be nice. Thank you, Truman. Thank you, Greg. All right, guys. We will see you in the morning at night.
Sea's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard. It's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.